Let's go, folks. Time for the Gibby Show. Hey, doing baseball fans, and welcome to another edition of the Gibby Show, presented by Miller Lite, the official beer of Major League Baseball and the Gibby Show. I'm John Arezzi. Joining me, the two-time manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. He was a member of the 86 New York Mets. Still the number one best-selling author on Amazon.com, and that is since April. Still number one since April. Amazing. The man who always tells it like it is, direct from hot San Antonio, Texas, the baseball life for himself, John Gibbons. Gibby, how you doing? Smoking, Johnny, smoking. Uh, hey, I'm doing good. Another good day, good week in baseball. Yes. You yes. know, uh, just kind of, it's getting t- it's getting that time of year. It's, it, it gets really interesting, just, you know, when you trade deadlines coming up and then everybody's making their push and you're going to find out who's the buyers and sellers. And then, of course, then you're going down the stretch, man. We're in uh, baseball. It, be, it matters in the beginning, but this is when it, re- it really, people really get into it. Yeah, I think this week in particular, it's going to be high anxiety for all the organizations and especially the players who may be on the cusp. Will I get traded? Will I be staying here? So this is going to be a very uh, anxious week in uh, in the major leagues. Yeah, it is. And, and uh, I th- people don't understand when guys get traded, they, they uh, it can be tough to be uprooted. They may have been playing for a certain team for a number of years, plus they have families to worry about, things like that. And then they're always wondering, you know, they, they read things and it's kind of, kind of plays with their mind a little bit. And, and uh, because there's a lot of hired guns out there, you know, that, uh, that, that teams want, but it really, it, it really uh, drives up the interest of the game. I think this, this time of year and everybody has a chance to play GM. Yeah, that's very, very true. And of course, social media only, only adds to the flames of the yeah. world. So uh, it'll be a big week and uh, we'll be watching it very, very closely. Uh, on today's show, uh, the Blue Jays stumble in Seattle, but salvage the final game of the series, and they still remain one of the teams in the wild card uh, competition. Uh, the trade deadline, as we just talked about, is fast approaching, uh, which is sure to be a hot topic all week. Uh, we will discuss this and all the Blue Jays news with Gibby. And on today's Gabbing with Gibby, brought to you by Tim Hortons, we will have one of the most successful batting uh, coaches in the game. He's a former Jays hitting coach and for the past nine years uh, hitting coach uh, for the Atlanta Braves and doing really well down there. Kevin Seitzer will join us. We'll have a, a weekly roast and toast inspired by our friends at Miller Lite. But let's get right into the leadoff. Uh, Gibby, the Jays finished off the weekend series in Seattle. They salvaged the final game of the three-game set with a razor-close 4-3 to three win all Three games were uh, decided by one run. There were thousands of Blue Jays fans there. Two of the three games were heartbreaking losses, including that walk-off by Teoscar Hernandez, which kind of hit Blue Jays fans in the gut. Uh, but these two teams, there's this chemistry between them. And I wouldn't say it's like this intense rivalry, but... There's something about the matchups between the Jays and the Mariners, and they don't seem to ever play a normal game. Yeah, you can see, yeah, things are ratcheted up for some reason, right? You know, they're one's in the Western Division, the other's the Eastern Division, so it's like, you know, there's not like that natural rivalry you would have. But, you know, obviously, I can, looking back in my career, there was managing there. We always, Seattle was always a battle out there. I mean, it's a tough place to play. 
uh, and they had some decent teams, right? And then, of course, this I think this team now you go back to the playoffs last year, and you know, uh, you know, Seattle winning that thing, and they won the first two, and then moved on. So that always ratchets ratchets it up a little bit, you know. It's like when we were playing Texas in fifteen and sixteen, there was just something there because you met them in the playoffs, and um, yeah, and then old Tay Oscar. You know what? One of your old players, you know, beat beat you that night, and then the the, the next day he hit a, hit a big double too. So yeah, but that's kind of the way it works sometimes. Your old players, for some reason, come back to haunt you. Even Swanson struck out the I think Suarez with the bases loaded late in the game. You know, just uh, you know, he used to pitch for Seattle, right? So I don't know whether it's the motivation or just something brings the best out of guys. And in, in the but both those guys are are dominant players in the big leagues, and they just rose to the occasion. Yeah, and, 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 you know, you add the fact that, you know, 20,000 uh, Blue Jays fans are in the, the stadium as well. And it's similar to what I just saw in Boston with the Mets playing the Red Sox. And you have, you know, almost 30 or 40 percent of the audience are Mets fans. So it has that it has that playoff type atmosphere. But the one thing that I have to ask you, John, is that, um, uh, you know, obviously the, there was that bitter loss in the uh, in the wild card last year. Can that affect the jays that maybe they can't win a big series against seattle no i don't think so you know what it if uh you know if that would continue let's just say they got in the face each other in the postseason this year or something or you know certain teams i will say like when i go back to 15 and 16 we beat texas both years in the playoffs right both rounds so we kind of had their number and in my mind it was it was it became a mental thing right I don't think they're at that point yet in the, you know, but, but they play tight games, right? They could go either way where a big hit, you know, and Teoscar in this particular series, Teoscar got a couple of them, right? Uh, but they'll, they're, uh, those, either one of those games could have gone I mean, either way, right? Yeah, they were you know, all little, one run decided yeah. by one run. Yeah, so, and it's always tough. I will tell you this, it's always tough going out to play in the East Coast, I mean, the West Coast. You know, and then now they move on to California. That's always yeah. tough. I don't care how good you are, and vice versa. You know, the teams on the West when they go out the East, that's just the way it is. Um, so that was, but that was a big game yesterday. Salvage that game. There's no doubt about it. And yeah, then uh, now move on win. to L.A. Yeah, win. yeah, yeah. Now, now go down there, play well down there in L.A. Hold your own anyway, mm-hmm. and then head back home for some home cooking. Yes. Yes, indeed. So it should be another big week for the Jays. They did make a kind of surprising roster move uh, before the Sunday game, uh, Nate Pearson was optioned to AAA, uh, and that made way for uh, lefty uh, Genesis Cabrera, who was acquired on Friday from the St. Louis Cardinals. Cabrera is 26 years old. Uh, he was 1-1 one one, uh, with the cards with a 5-06 ERA in 32 games. Uh, Pearson had given up six runs in his last two appearances, including, uh, you know, the game on Saturday, the 9-8 loss to the Mariners. Uh, but he's 5-2 and two with 29 appearances, and he posted a 4.75 ERA. Uh, there are reports out there that say that he's going to be given time to work on his uh, breaking pitch down in AAA and that he's expected to be back with the Jays this season. Was that surprising to you? Uh, and did you agree with the uh, demotion of Pearson to, uh, to Buffalo? Well, you knew they had to make a spot for Cabrera, you know, when they when they picked him up. So somebody had to go. Yeah, but I, I didn't expect Pearson, you know. But then he had that, you know, had that tough outing. Um, 
simply because he's been one of their go-to guys, right? Yes. And especially when he came back up and, you know, the the the, the talk was how good his breaking ball had become, slider. And that, apparently that's deserted him, I guess, and that's, you know, that's maybe that's behind this move here. Or, you know, there's always things like with different players have options, the other guy, but you know it had to be a bullpen guy, but, but certain players have options you can use, certain players don't. Right. So sometimes that factors into it. This apparently, I guess, came from a, performance standpoint and they had to yeah. you know they had to clear a spot for Cabrera because it, it is kind of surprising because he'd been been a go-to guy for him um you know and and this you gotta, you gotta remember one thing from a player's standpoint a bullpen guy's standpoint this is a time of year they're starting to run on fumes man they get used mm-hmm. especially in today's game they get used all the time right mm-hmm. these guys are max effort guys they're high velocity guys you know it's it's like when we talk about the starters getting yanked early right and and everybody judges well is that the, that a smart move good move bad move well then nobody even thinks about that boys down the bullpen going what are we doing come on now give day, us a break every yeah let me start to go yeah. four or five innings and all of a sudden here we go again <laughs> they're, they're saying leave, leave him in leave him in leave him in leave him in <laughs> and he gets yanked and here they come and then they can't they can't you know they can't their knuckles are dragging the ground yeah but uh, uh, but he'll be right. back he, he'll be back yeah, uh, Toronto's bullpen has been uh, excellent this season. Uh, yes. Really, quietly posting the fourth-best ERA in baseball uh, with strikeout and walk rates, uh, both ranking in the top five in the game. Uh, and the Blue Jays uh, have uh, coveted another lefty option in the uh, in the pen. So now I guess Cabrera gives them that option. It'll be interesting to see how this guy does. Yeah, they, you know, I'd read somewhere where they were looking for a lefty. You know, they, you had Timmy Mason down here who was having a tremendous year. You know, he just keeps getting better and better. Yeah. Um, but they got to protect him a little bit too. But, but you know, the certain guys, you know, now with the new rule, you got to face three guys. It used to be you, everybody would, t- if you need a lefty, you'd take a lefty because all he's got maybe face one hitter, right? Just yes. get the lefty out. Then you can yank him if he doesn't or whatever because you didn't want him facing the righties. Well, this kid's got a pretty good arm, I guess. So he has to face three guys, and he'd been he'd been struggling there in, in St. St. Louis for a team that uh, you know has been looking for pitching. So which is kind of surprising. I don't know if they, they had to make a move or something. Uh, mm-hmm. But all I know is Pete Walker's pretty good, and uh, you know he may be. They may have identified some things they think can help him out. And that's probably it. The problem is, anytime you pick up some guys, some guys got to go out, right? That, yeah. that was Pearson. So numbers it's kind game. of it's. Yeah, it's a ruthless game. There's no doubt about it. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how he does. Yeah, uh, you know, this could be, uh, you know, talking about a ruthless game. I mean, this is the week, as we talked about in the beginning of the show, it uh, uh, could be a big week for the Jays as the trade deadline is looming. Uh, they are expected to be active heading into the August 1st deadline. Um, a right-handed bat, perhaps, uh, to complement the lineup. Uh, there's also maybe a possibility of a trade for another starter. Uh, so that means somebody may have to go. Uh, so, I mean, they're, they're looking to load up for a postseason run and, and certainly want to go beyond a wildcard appearance. So there is anxiety out there. Take us through uh, that in your career, John. I mean, that trade deadline week, like you were saying, guys may have to uproot their families. It's one of the most stressful weeks in the game, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And and, and it's also one of the most exciting, you know, especially if you're a yeah. fan watching, you know, because you're, you're, a fan. you're playing you're playing GM. 
and but this is where they this is where GMs make their money, man. You know, they they, they earn their stripes and uh, uh, and they've all they've all been in a room throwing things around about what do we need to make this team better. And then now that tough part is seeing if you can find a match out there, you could you could pry somebody loose, and that's never easy. That's not automatic either. So uh, no. sometimes teams don't do anything not because they didn't try; it's because it's hard to do. Um, but you know, every all the teams in the in the in contention are going to be number one. They're going to be looking to fortify their bullpen. You have to simply because what we mentioned a minute ago, they get used so doggone much. These guys, you know, you need more of them, right? And especially when you can get down to where you can expand the rosters a little bit. You know, it, it, and if you can get an impact guy and make all the difference in the world, now you can start sliding your go-to relievers down a little bit and that one extra, you know, stud hammer. You know. Um, but it's uh, you know, some. But you've seen teams too. You look at the, uh, you know, there's been some, there's been some big trade deadline deals, yeah, and nothing happened. Right? I mean, they implode. The guys don't play good, or doesn't doesn't do anything for your team. But it's kind of one of the cool parts of the game that all right, everybody everybody's dreaming. I was a part of one when, when in '15 when they made a bunch of changes, and it was a crazy week because Anthopolis, the GM, you know, he's he's behind the scenes. He'd call me about possible deals right there and there's i mean they they're 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 talking every team and there's like 100 potential deals right and, you, and a lot of times you may not get anything and so and then you're going geez they're driving you crazy right there just get something just get, just get something <laughs> waiting for crying out loud and then uh uh but it's constant and they, he might call you in the middle of the night say hey what do you think of this yeah, you, you you could trade for him, but it's it's on your record, man. It better work. <laughs> you know, I'm sure you got a lot of those calls at midnight or after midnight. Uh, but another thing that may be uh, complicating things is that uh, joining um, uh, the Blue Jays this week, uh, Ryu is coming back from the long injury, and and that's going to add more depth. Uh, but he also create a log jam uh, with the starters. And uh, who do you think Ryu's impending return affects the most in the Jays' rotation? No, that's a great question. You know, it really is. Uh, you know, they they can. Everybody says we can never have enough. That's true, but there's then there comes a time where you got to decide who's who's doing what. Uh, whether they may go to six man, I, I don't know. I've I've never never been a fan of that. I think that you know these guys starters need a break, but sometimes you throw them out of whack with that extra day, right? I mean, if that's if you're going to try to run two months of doing that. Um, you know, Manoa, Alec, Alec had a good outing yesterday, you know, so he looks like he's bounced back. You know, if he had been, if he had continued to struggle, he might have been the guy, odd man out. I don't, I'm not sure. Yeah, he's there. had three starts back, one really good on his return. He had yeah. that little stumble, and then he kind of came back yesterday after a tough first inning. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, but does that affect him most? I mean, it's like he, is he, is he the guy that's got to be a little bit worried uh, and looking over his shoulder a little bit, you think? Well, I mean, it could be because he's the only one that's really struggled, right? At any point this season, because you you look yeah. at Kikuchi's been really good, right? Everybody, and he was he was kind of a flip of the coin to start the season. Barrios has been dynamite. Now he's worked his way back in there. So really, and those guys really aren't. A lot of times these starters aren't geared for bullpen roles, so it's tough to throw somebody down there. But you, they may have to do that. I, I, that's that would be my guess. Um, but. And they could go six man too, with you know, to protect Rue a little bit too, with coming off that Tommy John. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see what happens, and uh, with Ryu coming back, so uh, that's been long, uh, long awaited. And uh, hey, this is a beauty, though, Johnny. This is the beauty 
of being in fandom like like I am now, right? Right. You know, we we, we can watch teams and just see what they do, and and we get we get sit in the background, throw grenades when they don't work, and say, "Yeah, I told you so." You know, they're second guessing. And now I, now I can get away with it. Not, yeah, uh, you're an armchair manager now, John. You're an armchair skipper now. It doesn't it doesn't bother me one bit now. Right. Now you're <laughs> relaxed at least. And, and, you know, speaking of being relaxed, I mean. Hey, have a Miller Light while I'm doing it, it, brother. You're listening to The Gibby Show presented by our friends at Miller Light and, uh, you know, the, the armchair manager, the skipper uh, of his own domain. You're the skipper now of Waylon and Willie, and I'm sure that uh, uh, you love to have those Miller Lights because it's a light beer that really tastes like a real beer, and you got to be cranking them open while uh, petting Willie and Waylon and trying to control them and keep them, uh, un- you know, keep them from uh, destroying the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You throw beer cans at them? Empty one. <laughs> No, you, you know, you know them, what? You can have them retrieve them too for you. Get that cooler <laughs> out right. there and yeah. say, Waylon, it's your turn. Go get me a Miller Lite. Hey, you know what? It's, it's been so hot down here. I look forward to it. at the end of the day, you know, when that sun started to go down, sitting sit in my, my backyard and uh, sipping a nice Miller Lite. Really, that's kind of because during the day, it's so hot. If you get out, you got to do something. You come in, you're going, man, this is brutal. Now I'm getting a little older. I'm not like a young kid anymore. It's, so that's kind of me and my wife. We, we just kind of hang out there. That's how we kind of enjoy our evening. There you go. Well, the past weekend was the annual Hall of Fame inductions, uh, Gibby, in uh, Cooperstown, New York. Two former Jays were inducted. Uh, Scott Rowland, who played for the Jays in uh, 2008 and 2009, and Freddie McGriff, who started his MLB career in Toronto and played for the Jays from 86 to 90. And what a prolific home run hitter he was as well. Um, so I'm sure you had an opportunity to uh, see the Hall of Fame inductions and these great guys that uh, were inducted into that hallowed hall. Uh, just wanted to get uh, any recollections of, of Roland and uh, McGriff from you because you knew them both. Yeah, Johnny, I, I tell you what, notable, you're not going to find two better guys, right? And, and, and two great players, right? I mean, but they encompass it all. Just, just good, hard nose. Uh, class guys, you know, good family guys, you know, everything, right? And um, but I played against Freddie in the minor leagues when he, you know, he's coming up with the uh, Blue Jays. Hit the farthest home run I've ever been behind the plate. He hit it, hit at the old, I think it was called MacArthur Stadium in Syracuse. He hit one over the light tower. I'm going, Mike, you got to be kidding me. Anyway, the story I get up with when the Blue Jays, you know, traded when they made the trade with the Yankees, they kind of fleeced the Yankees, right? Because he, he they brought he was down an A ball, a rookie ball, maybe. And uh, he was kind of a throw-in that, that uh, Beeston used to tell the story about. I don't know who they, the, the the main part of the trade was, but they wanted, hey, throw this guy, you know, they throw this McGriffin guy in, right? And then I, get, I guess Steinberg and those guys were around there. And said, yeah, they weren't going to let that hold up the trade, right? Kid down a rookie ball. Now look, right? It's, that's kind of the beauty of this game, you know? And then Scotty Rowland, another Hall of Famer. I tell everybody, this Hall of Famer got me fired. They said, get your fire, see you. Because when we picked him up in 2008, mm-hmm. uh, it was him and David Eckstein, right? They're coming over from the Cardinals. They're going to spring train, and he's taking ground balls and, and took a took a ground ball right off his nail and pushed it back. So he started the season for the first month on the DL, right? Bad, bad injury in there. So a couple months in, I get fired. So I said, well, he, he got me fired. If he, hell, if he'd been playing, we'd have been that much better. I might still be there for crying out loud. So I told him that. He's, but go. another, 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 just 
two two great competitors, two good guys, and two ex Blue Jays. I tell you, the Blue Jays have had a few Hall of Famers roll through that town. Yeah, and they uh, they paid tribute to the Jays. Both of them did yesterday, and they were those those speeches yesterday really uh, honored their Tremendous. families and those who brought them up and helped them along the way. So no egos there, and it was great to see both of them uh, get inducted in the hall. Yes, it was. That'll wrap up the leadoff, and now it's time for Gabby with Gibby, brought to you by Tim Hortons. New Smoky Honey Bacon Breakfast Sandwiches are here at Tim's. They're sweet and savory. Then a twist on your breakfast faves made with new double smoked bacon and glaze made from 100% Canadian honey. It sounds great. (laughs) Try one today at participating Tim Hortons restaurants in Canada for a limited time. I want one right now. Hey, Tim's don't let up, do they, man? They just keep firing different stuff out there all the time. Every week, something else. Something great. Wow. Got some mad scientists behind the scene, man. Coming up with all these great recipes, you know, it's like well, that one great ideas. Good, I got a, I got a, you know, a smoky honey bacon breakfast sandwich, man. Oh, so I'm right I with might, you, dude. I might have two. There you go. Today on Gabbing with Gibby, brought to you by Tim Hortons, we bring on one of the best hitting coaches in the game. For the past nine years, he's been with the Atlanta Braves organization, overseeing that amazing group of hitters there. And has done it for the last nine years. And this year, no exception. What a team the Braves have uh, have compiled. And uh, during his career, uh, he also coached with the Kansas City Royals, the Arizona Diamondbacks, and spent time with the Blue Jays. As a player, he played for the Royals, Milwaukee Brewers, Oakland A's, and Cleveland Indians. Runner-up for Rookie of the Year in 1987. Made the AL All-Star team that year. And a lifetime 295 hitter let's bring on gibby's good friend kevin seitzer kevin how you doing good how are you guys very good <laughs> hey you know you might have hit about 320 career wise if you could run it all <laughs> he broke up a little bit but i think i got the gist of that <laughs> hey back then i could run right now no chance you did, huh? I didn't know you were a runner, but hey, let, let me. It's a, it's it's a true it's it's a true honor for me to have this guy on here. Kev, Kevin, I go. Well, when I got fired my first time in, in uh, from Toronto, I went to work as a bench coach in Kansas City. Kev was a hitting coach there, and this is back. You know, they they had Billy Butler and Alex Gordon, but this is when like the Hosmer, Mustakis, they made the trade, and Alcides Escobar, Salvador Perez. Those guys were all on the upswing, right? And so Kev, they 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 were falling in in the, in the under Kevin's tutelage, right? And then I end up getting fired there again. That's a, you know, see what the common theme is? I get fired everywhere. So I left, and then he, then, he, then eventually I come back to t- Toronto, and we brought Kevin with us, and then he spent a year there. And then uh, then his old uh, Sherholtz, and it, was it Sherholtz in, in, uh, from Cleveland? John Hart. Uh, John Hart. Yeah. We're right. running the Atlanta Braves, and they brought him over there and gave him some security. You know, we couldn't do that in Toronto, and they, they offered that to him, so he, so he left. But I just want to tell you, this is – I've never been around a hitting coach right, more thorough, cares more for his guys, works harder than, the, than this guy. You know, and he wears it on, he wears it on his sleeves, man. When it, it's all about winning. But he's, he's – uh, I guess what really made him stand out to me is – not that he, as much as he, he cares. He cares more than most. There's no doubt about that. 
but he taught hitting, you know, it's, it's, uh, and he's still doing, I know he's still doing it. It's, it's, it's turned into a slug game, but this guy talks hitting the kind of hitter he was, you get two strikes, you battle. And I've, every team I've ever seen him on, whether it was Toronto or in those years, in Kansas City, his guys battle, man, they battle to the end and it's, and it's fun to watch. And that's a sign of a champion. That's, that's what he's doing down in Atlanta. I'll take it from there, Kev. <laughs> well, thank, thanks, Gib. That's, uh, it, I appreciate it. You know, it, you're right. I, I care. I love my guys. Um, I, I don't want to leave any stone unturned every single day when we're preparing for a, a starter, when we're preparing for a series, um, all the advanced work and everything that I put in way ahead of time so I can simplify it for the guys to when when they get in a box, they got an idea of what to expect, what it's going to look like, it's, especially when we're playing, you know, the, the full schedule this year is really cool, but we're facing a lot of pitchers that we've never seen before. So the better picture you can put in the hitter's mind as to what they're going to see from a movement standpoint and how the ball's going to come out of their hand and, and all of that, it just helps. So, you know, I, I, I love it. I absolutely love the, the preparation. I love the time in the cage with them. And, you know, you're, you're right. Our guys fight and they grind, man. We got, this is, for me, this is the best group I've ever been around. I, I think I've said that every year for the last, like, five or six years. <laughs> and it, it, they get better every year. Just they, they you know, I've had so many people go, what makes you guys so special? I mean, you got talent and everything, but what makes it click? And I said, it, it's the bottom line of – the guys in that clubhouse love each other, care about each other, fight for each other, support each other, the the chemistry, the makeup, and just the, the will to win, not be overwhelmed, keep bringing it for 27 outs. It, it's just, it's special to watch every night. And I tell them a lot and I, it, it's pretty awesome. Yeah. You know what, Kev, but, a big part of that is the coaching staff there too. You got to, yeah, you got to have that kind of player that have that kind of mentality. But your coaching staff, in my mind, is is the best in baseball by far, right? Because you 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 have enthusiastic guys that have played the game a long time. There's a ton of experience, you know, from Wash, EYU, you know, uh, even Snit leading the way, you know, Walt Weiss, you name it. You know, there, there's something to that. The, the experience level. Yet they're all, you guys are all smart enough to adjust with the game and things like that. And, and so when I watch it, I guarantee you that, that you got credibility, you know, the old street cred they talk about from, from the get-go. And I guarantee you that's a big part of the battle because every one of those guys I just named was that kind of player, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, 100%. They, our staff is, is tremendous. I mean, you know, the, the players – the players nowadays have have I believe have a lot of respect for guys who walk the same walk that they're walking right now and been through the wars and you know all of our guys have and then and then you you have to make the adjustment from the to from an analytics perspective to where you know you're able to get the information take it and and present it to the guys to where they get it and it's not overwhelming and that's 
you know, that's the fun part. And all of, all of our coaches have, we've adapted and I love it. I stink and love it. <laughs> what do you awesome. got for him, Johnny? Uh, I got a few things. Uh, obviously you're, you're around some great hitters, uh, in your estimation around the league, around major league baseball, who do you consider the, some of the greatest hitters in the game right now? Oh man, gosh, there's, there's a lot of them. I mean, Otani number one is <laughs> what he's doing and how special that is, is, I mean, I just, I have no idea what that dude's going to get paid, but he, he's probably the top of the list as far as holy cow. And more wow. than you and I will, so, but go ahead. You know, there's, there's, <laughs> I know, <laughs> by a lot. <laughs> um, gosh, I don't know. He's the one that just jumps off the map to me, you know, as far as, the wow factor and the overall talent, having the ability to hit for power, hit for average, run the way he runs. Um, you know, it, it's, he's, he's a special talent. Yeah. And take the bump every five days too, and get up on that hill and start pitching as yeah, well. I don't know how We've much longer he's like going to be able to do generation. that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. You also, uh, uh uh, talked a lot about going back now in your career, how uh, much of an influence George Brett had had on your life and career. Can you kind of tell us about that relationship with George and how uh, and how much he influenced you? Uh, you know, it was George had the the biggest impact on me just from leading by example. I mean, he wasn't a a, a rah rah, you know vocal guy but the way he played the game the way he prepared the way he worked and you know he he led by example for us especially us young kids that it's like holy cow man you know watching him the my very first day in the big leagues when i got called up never been in the big leagues never been in big league camp i came through the minor leagues not really a prospect, but I'd hit and I got an opportunity to be a September call up. And my first game, I'm sitting there and, you know, it's like when you're a kid growing up, this was back in the, the day where players would hit ground balls and then they just jog to first base. And it was like really too cool for school. And, and, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, we got to hustle. We got to bust it down the line. And, it's like, man, if I ever get to the big leagues, that'd be really cool to be able to just jog to first base and be cool like these these guys who were my heroes and idols growing up. And the first game, George first at bat hits a comebacker to the mound. And I saw him. I'm we're in the first base dugout in Kansas City, and that dude ran as hard as he could run to first base on a comebacker to the pitcher. And I was like, my balls were just like wide open going, you got to be kidding me. That was, that was incredible. <laughs> he's out. And this is September and the Royals are 18 games out of first place. I mean, he's, he's doing this because that's who he is. And I'm like, wow, that was amazing. Two at bats later, his third at bat comes up, hits another comebacker to the mound. Maybe the only time he hit two comebackers in a game in, in his whole career. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> My first game, and he did the same thing. He busted it to first, and I just said, you know what? That's the way I'm going to play my whole career. And that 
I, I will say that game had more of an impact on how how I played and my attitude than than anybody in my whole career. Hey, I want to know who the pitcher was, man. Sign that guy. If he could get George to tie George up and hit two bouncers back to, back at the mound, man, that's the guy you I want. I don't even remember. I don't remember. <laughs> it was it was uh, White Sox, though. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Hey, Kev, real quick. When, uh, you know, you were talking about uh, the analytics and things like that. You know, the, you've got so many different personalities on your team. It, it is uh, – in, in, in preparing these guys, you know, for, you know, I'm sure they all, they all want different, different type information, different amounts of information uh, yep. in the way the game is nowadays is, you know, you're, you're lucky if the, if you get five innings out of a starter, right. They, you're, you're right. There's a good chance you're facing three or four more guys. Yep. Yeah. They, every guy wants something different. I mean, there's, there's a couple of guys who want as much as you can give them. And then there's some, just give me a little of this and this and this. And then there's some who just go, I want to know what his velo is on his heater and what's his, his two pitch. And I know who wants what. And that's every day we do our thing. When I have the first day of the series, we will have our hitters meeting and we'll go over the whole bullpen, show video. I do, I do what they're their fastball velo is and then their secondary pitches and they just sit and watch the clips. And there's like, we have every pitcher in the bullpen throw three pitches of each pitch. So if he's fastball slider change, he's they're going to, they're going to see three fastballs to a lefty, three fastballs to a righty, three changeups to a lefty, three changeups to a righty, and then three sliders to, to a lefty and a righty. So they get to see all the pitches of the bullpen, and all I've told them is the fast, what the fastball velo is, and then they see the movement on all the pitches. Well, then one, they got the picture in their head, and now when they come out of the bullpen, the last three or four innings, hopefully five or six innings that we're seeing relievers, that you know they got that they got that shot in their head. Okay, yeah, I remember him. Here's how much the movement is on that slider because. Here's, here's the uh, the hard part for us slash hitters, but really it, it it's a, a picture that the fans don't understand. When the camera is sitting off center from center field, like a little bit more towards left most of the time, left center, the perspective of the movement of all those pitches is deceiving. So, for example, the only way that you're going to get true pictures of the movement is like we just came from Milwaukee. It's one of the best places to scout because you're dead on right behind home. And Atlanta is the same way. Now, so you can see the run, the cut, the sink, but if a camera gets too high, now you can't see the depth. So it looks like curveballs are just little short curveballs. Well, then you get a lower camera angle. You go, holy cow, that's a lot bigger curveball than I thought. And then when it's over towards the left center, the right-handed slider looks like it's a little bitty thing, and the left-handed slider looks like it's breaking five feet. Uh, but when it gets yeah. on, it it's it changes. So 
you know, we, our, our video guy tries as hard as he can to get, you know, these pitches of, for our meetings from behind home. But I'm always reminding them, you know, hey, it's bigger than what it looks. It's shorter than what it looks and blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, that's, that's, inter- that's interesting. You know, it's funny. They, I don't know why they brought back a memory. I can't remember who it was when we were together in Toronto. And uh, I, anyway, the, I can remember come back to the dugout. And they had just punched out or looked bad on something. They said to you, I didn't know he had a curveball or something, or I didn't know he had a slider. And it, sure enough, it was that guy that never paid attention, obviously. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then you got Billy Butler, who would go, you said his slider was 82 to 84. He goes, that one was 81. I was a little early on <laughs> <laughs> hey, to put that in perspective, hey, Billy Butler was a great hitter, wasn't he? Not? Yeah, he not? man. He could, he could hit. But that's how simple he was, man, and that's how he just gets his mind work. <laughs> you were off by a, a one mile an hour, Kim. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> and then and then I keep track of all the quality at bats and stuff, which I still do, and I'll give them uh, – a quality at bat for a hard contact, a hard hit out. And so he'd hit a he'd hit a stinking high, high bomb to center field to get caught at the warning track. And I wouldn't give him a hard contact. Well he he come up after the at bat and kind of like nuzzle up behind me and he's looking over my shoulder at the chart. <laughs> and then he go, dude, you didn't give me hard contact on that. He goes, I crushed that ball. I go too high, pull it lower. <laughs> uh, and that's hey, that's Billy Butler because you know what? In the middle of a game, he's worried about how you're grading him. It's not like you're going to give him a bonus. Or <laughs> oh, it was awesome. No, uh, that's you, the the good old days, man. Huh? I tell you, you, you know, you bet, Kev. You've been around this game a long time, man. You've seen it all. You were a great player. Thank you know, you. in the you're definitely one of the you know the best of the game right now. I don't know. I don't know right. who's anybody's better. Hey, let me ask you real quick again though. How many guys? You guys? How many runs you scored that first inning this year? Are you kidding me with that? I I don't know. But we we have we've we've gotten a lot, but what happens is is we usually don't get many after that. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know the old argument is you know that. Uh, you know, especially you get the the top pitchers they coming out of the game. Maybe they're just coming out of the bullpen. You know, they're just now they're getting into the game and the move. Man, they may not have their best a, a stuff right out of the gate. You know, they're still maybe not they're not sweating and all that yet. That's the time yeah. to take advantage of. But nobody's right. ever done it like you guys have. No, I, I I can't explain it. I mean, they the boys just come out. We come out swinging. I can tell you that we come out swinging. Hey, that's big. Hey, remember the game, though, for a while there changed to, you know, the old money ball. Let's go up there and work the counts and all that. Right. And then, then there was a, your old your old timers, the argument was, no, you got to be aggressive, right? And it, so it's yeah. it's a lot of it has come back to being aggressive again, I think. Yeah. So, so my first, I don't know, six or seven years as a hitting coach, it was, hey, we got to grind the starter. We, we got to get the pitch count up so we get to the bullpen. You know, we, we got to, we got to, want to you know not necessarily go up there looking to walk but we can't just go up there just hacking at everything and then i don't know probably seven or eight years ago six years ago 
I just, I went to, it was Snit actually. It was probably his first year here. And I just said, look, I go, this work in the count stuff. I go, I, I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea because what comes out of that bullpen is usually firing nastier than the starter that we're facing. <laughs> so the quicker we get into that bullpen, the more difficult we're going to make it. And if we go up there getting after that starter and he's got a low pitch count, well, look at the numbers of what, what starters give up third time through the order. That's why a lot of these analytical teams don't want their pitchers facing a hitter the third time through the order because that's when hitters got a good idea of what he looks like and then they start whacking him. So we got a better chance to to get to a guy, a starter, if he's got a low pitch count, you know, we're in the fourth, fifth inning, and it's third time through and here we come. So, you know, if we ain't banged him already in the first, we got a chance to get him third time through. But <laughs> we hacking. <laughs> Hey, let me ask you a question. I, th- I don't think anybody knows the answer. And, you know, you're talking about the, you know, the, the olden days versus the modern, modern game. You know, when you look at the, the number of innings, the, the all-time great pitchers, the Hall of Famers used to throw and the complete games and things like that. So they ain't worried about third time through, fourth time through, sometimes fifth time through if there's a tie game. What do you think? Why do you think things are different? And naturally, I mean, guys, more guys throw harder now, and you, and you you see more. You see more, maybe four or five guys a night. That's difficult on a hitter and all. Is there is there any logic behind that, or is it, uh, or was was there more finesse, more skill than the old timers might have had, or they 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 might have been <laughs> weave their way through? You got any thoughts on that at all? Yeah, I I think you're, I think you're right on it. I think there was more finesse to the, to the game. They weren't. I mean, now it's like you got max effort to almost max effort on every pitch that these pitchers are coming out when they they get on the bump, and then you know you got you got these pitchers that have been I don't want to say catered to, but they've been on pitch counts their whole life growing up, and so they never have the ability to yeah. do two things: that's get stretched out and be able to to command pitches to where you don't have to max effort in order to get hitters out. All you got to do is hit spots. Well, people don't focus on hitting spots anymore. They want, they want nasty, filthy um, versus command. And so, you know, it is what it is, but it'll, it'll never be the way it used to be. I mean, I think Kansas city, when I was there, um, Dennis Leonard was still pitching when I got called up. And I heard something that in one year he had like 21 complete games or 22 complete games in one season. <laughs> it's like, holy crap. But they were throwing 150 pitches when they needed to also. And they, they were throwing strikes and they were getting early contact, you know, to where you can keep your pitch count down when you're, you're pitching to soft contact instead of trying to punch everybody. Yeah, yeah. So that, that that's – you know, well, one thing I know, your style of coach, right? And it goes back to your playing days and when I was with you. You know, strikeouts are so high on these guys nowadays, right? I mean, naturally you're facing everybody. Everybody throws 100 with nasty breaking balls. But you used to teach, hey, there was, not all, I'm giving away all your secrets, but with two strikes, you know, it's time to battle. I'm going to shorten the fields and things like that. 
and, I, and I'm sure you're still doing that. Obviously, when you when you when your offense scores like you do, when you get that, you you guys are productive. Whether it's no no strikes on you or two strikes on you, more than most teams, I will guarantee you that. Yeah, we we still we punch out way more than I like, but you know we also do major damage. So yeah, I mean we two strike approach. You don't you can't come off the fastball. You got to shorten up. You got to try and grind oppo in order to be able to see the secondary stuff and and have a chance to check off of it and stay on it when it's a strike. So you know it's that's two strike approach, but at the same time. You know, when you got hitters that do, we got guys that are swing and miss guys. So, you know, it it's not, the game's changed a lot. And I don't think it's like everybody's trying to hit home runs, but everybody's not a little short, no pop contact dude just trying to put the yeah. ball in play. We got guys that are out to do slug and, you know, you want to drive the ball and punch outs are part of it. And we, we do our more than fair share. You know, it's like, well, how you, do you like punch outs? I'm like, heck no, I don't like punch outs. It's like, I, they're like paper cuts. You know, it's like every time you get one, you go, oh, that hurt. And then by the end of the game, you look down, you're standing in a puddle of blood. It's like, that ain't any good. <laughs> <laughs> hey, then, hey, then when you see a kid like Arise down there with Miami, man, and going, <laughs> What is this guy? He's a, he's some freak, uh, you know. Where he, he, I mean, he's really good, obviously. But those guys, that that type of hitter, you know, everybody didn't hit three fifty, three seventies, whatever it is. But those those were commonplace. A lot of those guys, you know. Yeah, yeah, he's impressive, man. He, I mean, you know, back when I played, Wade Boggs was going to hit three fifty every year. Mattingly was going to hit three thirty, and you know, Puckett was going to hit three forty or three fifty. It, it was. There were a lot of guys. Tony Gwynn was going to hit 370. George was going to hit 330. There was, there were just lots of guys who could just rake, and and it was, you know, there were there were good hitters back then. Yeah, different style, different style of game. Johnny, what do you got for him before we have to let him go? He's got to go get some lobster. Oh yeah, yeah a couple, <laughs> couple things. I mean, uh, obviously the Blue Jays and the Braves uh, got a chance to uh, to play each other. Uh, Braves did, uh, uh, you know, Blue Jays kind of beat them over over a three game series. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Thanks, John. Appreciate that. <laughs> no, but hey, I didn't say it. Your, you know, your analysis of the Blue Jays, you know, obviously we're in a, a tough division in Toronto. It's probably the toughest in the game. But give us your assessment of the Blue Jays in 2023. Yeah, well, I mean, you said it. They pounded us. I mean, they they swept us. And and here here's the other thing that's really funny. Austin Riley, after, after we left that series, he goes, you know, every year – He's like, over the last four years, he's like, I've never won a game against the Blue Jays. And I'm like, really? He goes, well, you haven't either. <laughs> <laughs> and you said, hey, don't ask me. Don't, don't tell me that. Tell, tell Snicker that. <laughs> he's counting. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't realize we hadn't won a game since Austin had been in the big leagues. And, wow. and it's like, they're, they're tough, man. I mean, they, they got good pitching. They, they got a, a really dangerous offense. They fight, they grind They're You know, they're, there's a lot of similarities to us. I mean, they, 
they don't, they may not have the thunder that we have from a home run standpoint, but they got some dangerous, dangerous dudes in that lineup that, you know, and then there's, you got a couple of guys that are having tough years, but they're still, they're still scary in the batter's box. So I love that team, man. I, I, I watch them. I, I follow and, you know, it's uh, they're, they're a fun group to watch. It would be a great matchup at the end of the season, wouldn't it? In a World Series? Yes, sir. I think we might win our first one for a while. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, you know, I actually picked that at the beginning of the year to meet, you know, a little bit of a homer, too. Because I I spent all those years in Toronto, and and, uh, I just just finished working for Atlanta, so I had to be a homer, you know. There you go. could happen, though. Smart men could pick, pick that. Please, God, let it happen. <laughs> hey, Kev, before we let you go, pal, all right, for all the, the parents out there and the young hitters, you know, like, like I said, as far as a student of hitting, I've never been around anybody any better, you know, in the hard work and in the, in the, the smart way of thinking than, than the way you coach. You got any advice for parents out there, for the young kids or any young kids that might listen to this? Yeah, you know, so – this is for little kids. Um, you know, I had uh, indoor baseball training facility for 21 years with Mike McFarland. We did lessons, instruction, and all of that before I got back into coaching in the big leagues. And, and so we would have our, our lessons and, you know, but and up until like 10 or 11 years old, you know, parents would say, give me give me a piece of advice i mean what what should i focus on with my with my kids and i'd say three things i go number 1 have them get have them stay take a good swing where they stay on balance number 1 have them try and hit the ball right back up the middle every time try and hit a line drive at the pitcher and tell them just focus on seeing the ball that's it Watch the ball, stay on balance, try and hit it right back up the middle. Those are three things right there. And I mean, because as kids really focus on hitting the ball back through the middle, they start to be able to, to, it helps with their timing. It helps with their pitch recognition. It helps them repeat a good path to where they stay inside the ball and they're not getting long and around the ball. Uh, and then just being able to stay on balance is just so critical to where they start feeling established in their lower half because that's where hand speed and power comes from. And a lot of kids try and do it with their upper body and they're they're falling all over the place. So, uh, you know, and then the head's coming off. And so if they're focused on just seeing the ball all the way to contact, stay on balance and try and hit it back through the middle, they will be so far ahead of the game you know, as they get older and they start seeing change-ups and curveballs and sliders and all of that. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of parents want to get real complicated and it's, it's no good. It's no good because the, the big thing for me is you want to, you want to fix the problem not the result of the problem. And so a lot of times parents will go, oh, well, look, he did this. Well, why did he do that? Was it, was it because he just has that problem or was he trying to do this or this or thinking this or this? And so, you know, you just got to be careful because sometimes you can throw other stuff out of whack 
trying to be proactive and, and being too technical from a mechanical yeah. standpoint. Makes perfect sense, man. Damn, I wish I'd tried that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, are you serious? It's that simple. It's like, yeah, just and and the big thing for me too is just give get reps. Get reps. And you know, the more you hit, the more you play, the more, you know, and keep it fun. I mean, one of the other things too, you know, at, at our facility, we'd see parents dragging their kids out there. They didn't want to be there. Well, if they don't want to yeah. be there, don't make them be there. This is not your career. This is their career. And until it's fun, you need to support them to do something that they have fun at and they love. And if it's work and they don't like it, stop. That's that's the holy yeah. cow. I mean, don't even get me on that tirade because I just see so much pressure. Kevin, hey, that's that is so true though, man. Because I'd even go back and watch games when my kids were playing. I'm going. I would go down the right field line watching it because I couldn't sit there and listen to what all these parents were saying. Going, right. Man, no one of the kids hate the game. Man, <laughs> the, all, they, all they want to do is like, uh, is uh, get get a couple of bats and then go get an ice cream afterwards. That's all they're worried about. You're right. <laughs> yep. Yep. Exactly. Well, listen, pal, man, we can't thank you enough spending your off day with us up there in Beantown. Yep. You, you bet. Great to see you. Hey, and now you're going to get out and get you a nice meal tonight? Is, is Snicker buying you guys or what? No, he took us out in Milwaukee the other night. So he's taking the uh, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Or in Milwaukee, go to Waffle House up there instead of one of the big fancy seafood restaurants in Boston. We went, we went to Eddie, Eddie Martini's that had really good seafood and steak. It was really good in Milwaukee. In Milwaukee? Yeah. That's pretty close to the ocean. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> Tell him, hopefully he's got he's got Anthopolis' uh, expense card so when he takes you guys out like that. Yep, Alex takes care of us, man, <laughs> big time. He's awesome. All right, pal. Well, listen, say hello to everybody for us. All right, All right will do. Good, good talk. Appreciate your you. time, man. You Keep bet. up the great yeah. work, Kev. Thank, Thank you. So Appreciate it. Take care. All right, pal. Well, another great guy on Gabbing with Gibby, uh, one of the best hitting coaches in the game. Uh, that was a good, uh, good discussion with him. What a, what a great guy. Yeah, John, he's a real pro, you know. I got to know him when I went to Kansas City, and I just watched him work. And, you know, no, nobody, nobody cares more than this guy. And I've been around a lot of great coaches, a lot of great baseball players. I mean, he cares about his guys, right? Works hard. He'll do anything. He'll go above and beyond. But the most important thing is he's knowledgeable. He knows how to teach it. He knows how to relay it to these guys. You know, for, you get guys in the game from all walks of life, different backgrounds, and yet he's able to, to pass it on the, you know, the the things that might help to, to, to each and every one of them, you know. And, and he, you know, he lives and dies with them too, you know. So uh, he's he, he's a big part of what they got going down there. Yeah, just the knowledge and uh, dealing with the different individuals and their personalities and for him to be uh, with the Braves for nine consecutive years and all the teams that he's helped and all the players that he's helped over the course of his career. Uh, that was a great get for gabbing with Gibby. Uh, you got to remember now- one thing, and he'll, he'll tell you, he'll tell you, remember one thing. 
you got to have talent, right? But there's every every player in the major leagues has talent, right? There's some guys that have that knack, getting the most out of guys. They do it a little bit better than the other guy, you know, or or you learn things over time. That's the key. He has talent down there, but yet got to get it out of these guys, and that's what they're doing. Yeah. That's the hard part, of course, but uh, he's doing a great job. Uh, now, inspired by our friends at Miller Lite, it's time for this week's Roast and Toast. Uh, John, this week, there was a story that made some national headlines. Uh, I even read it in the New York Post. Uh, uh, it was about the Seattle Mariners, who hosted this year's All-Star Game. And they had initially placed various Blue Jays merchandise in their team store. Jays, of course, finished the series there. Uh, There was some leftover merch from the All-Star game that uh, Seattle hosted. Uh, The Jays gear was unceremoniously yanked from the team stores after some complaints on social media by fans. And it was echoed by Seattle pitcher Paul Sewald and infielder J.P. Crawford. So the thousands of Jays fans attending these games cannot purchase any Blues Jays merchandise at these games. And for this, I got to roast the Mariners for removing the gear. Well, no, I, you know, you know, I guess I understand it a little bit. This is your team. And all that. But I get, I get the stupidity end of it, man. You're losing a lot of money for crying out loud, I would think, right? But, uh, hey, hey. Uh, but I am a little bit surprised even a player would even notice that, you know. That, uh, but but I but I do understand that. I had I had an instance when I was coaching the Jays. I got my kid was wearing a Yankees Jeter's jersey around when he was a little tyke in in New York, and somebody made the comments, and I'm thinking, well, we sell Yankees Red Sox stuff up in the booth. I said, in in there they sit in the owner's box. I'm going, where's the uh, where's the hypocrisy? Or is, or is the, seems like a little yeah. hypocrisy to me. So I, I don't even know how I feel on that other than, you know, you're, you're losing a lot of money at, anyway. But I guess they got to pay these guys so much money, the players, they could use some of them. Yeah, I, I never found it, uh, you know, disturbing to see other teams. Because, I mean, most of the team stores around uh, the leagues, I mean, they 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 have MLB gear that's sometimes out, outside of the teams that are playing there. It just uh, – it just well, Yeah, uh, you got to remember. Media, social media f- fueled the flame on that one. Oh, yeah. But you got to remember, a big part, you know, you, you get – Fans from all over, uh, all different parts of the country that root for different teams, right? And this is their chance to come, you know. And they, and obviously, the Blue Jays, they come out there. But I'm sure they, they, in a, uh, so are they going to, I'm sure they're going to take, uh, they must have Otani and Trout jerseys yeah. too in their, so are they going to take that stuff down? Or they Everybody get, wants uh, that. You know? I, whoever, whoever's <laughs> complaining, it was a Seawall, he might get traded, man. They say, this guy's more of a problem than he is. Here. Yeah, I was never a fan of he's, his. He's costing us money. I was never a fan of his when he was with the Mets. Let's put it that way. Oh, he's an ex-Met, huh? Yeah, yeah. that's almost everybody is. Um, <laughs> uh, we're going to toast somebody that also is an ex-Met, uh, but this is a really cool story. Jay starter Chris Bassett and his wife Jessica announced that they will support the Jay's Care Foundation with their new Bassett's Pitch-In Program. And this is really cool, Gibby. Uh, the Bassett family, they will donate $10,000 to Jays Care each time the Jays win on a day when Bassett pitches. And they made it retroactive to opening day already. So to date, 
They've now generously donated $130,000 to the foundation, which enhances the mental and physical health of young people in under-resourced communities around Toronto. This year, over 1,000 kids are participating in the program. And for this, we both happily toast Chris and Jessica Bassett. Yeah, you know, it it just tells you about the both of them right there, right? Uh, You know, Jay's Care has always been big big up there uh i think it was melinda rogers who, who ran it um and every year they'd have a big gala or and uh you know do promotions and a lot of a lot, a lot of players would you know donate time or or uh financial stuff but i never seen anyone doing that big you know so it's man that's pre- that's pretty impressive you know so so good 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 for them you know what um yeah. you know we had him on the show you could tell what you know what a quality guy a caring guy he was and that just yeah. doesn't surprise me at all, you know, to tell you the truth. And, and, uh, yeah, he said that pretty, pretty, uh, pretty impressive. When, he, when he first came to the team, he wanted to do something for the community. And, and this foundation uh, really uh, resonated uh, to him and his wife. And, and they decided to do this. And it's a great program. So, yeah, we tip our hats and give them. Oh, yeah. Well, Jay, Jay Scare does a lot of good stuff up there, you know, all over the country. And, and uh, yeah. Yes, uh, that's kind of, that, that's their big thing. So hey, hey, that's a what a great salute. Exactly. Well, we'll have another uh, uh, roast and toast inspired by our friends at Miller Light next week. And Gibby, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Gibby Show for John Gibbons. This is John Arezzi. We will talk more baseball with you next week, right here. Have a great week, everyone, and go Blue Jays. <laughs>